to sin or not to sin. We have both in our scripture lesson today. Both the idea that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That there is none of us who can make the claim not to have sinned. But on the other hand, the gospel calls us to such a transformed life that John can say, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. John is writing to a community, to a group of people who are having a controversy surrounding what it means, whether or not in fact God has come in the flesh in Jesus and been crucified and offered himself for the sins of the world. John is combating this idea that if we think the right thoughts, we'll be saved. John is saying, no. It is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, who has come to us, and because He has come to us, we have salvation. And so, the Son of God has come. John is very clear about the coming We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John is offering this testimony that Jesus has come and has been real, that really they saw and they heard and they touched It is an eyewitness kind of account that this life was revealed. We've seen it again, he says, and we testify to it and we declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. Do you notice all of the ways the plural we and us are used here. John is inviting his readers to recognize that they are a part of a great we. When we prayed a few moments ago, we said, Our Father, and we recognize that each of us together is a part of the family of God, our Father. And it's not just us here. It's churches around Boyle County. It's churches in various nations of the world, in many different languages, in every time zone. When we say, Our Father, we are connecting with every church in the world today. When we say, Our Father, we are connecting in a way with our deceased great-great-great-grandmother who prayed the Lord's Prayer. We are praying the Lord's Prayer as a part of this great us that is together with John and with Peter and Andrew and and James and Paul. We declare to you, John says, what we have seen and heard so that you can be a part of this great us. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You may think to yourself, what, what do you mean? doesn't that say so that our, so that your joy may be complete? Well, that's in the Gospel of John. 
Now, you heard me talk a little bit about uh, different versions and different copies of the Scripture. The alternate reading here is that so your joy may be complete, but with all of the we's and us's, our joy as the people of God may be complete because of what He has done through our Son, Jesus Christ. What has He done? Well, He's revealed life. There is a kind of life that we can live with Jesus at our side, with the Holy Spirit living within us, that we cannot live if that is absent. There is a kind of fellowship that is made possible between you and me, a fellowship that is made possible between us and God that cannot exist if Jesus the Messiah has not come and offered himself up for us. There is a joy that God offers to us, and God offers to us this highest joy. Sometimes we forget that in the definition of the philosophers, no matter how many images of God we may have, God is the shepherd, God is the king, God is found in the mighty whirlwind, God is our friend. Jesus is our brother. No matter how many images we have, we've got the great image of the philosophers that God is a being of complete and perfect and unfettered joy. And as a part of the us, notice the us is those of us gathered in this room, all who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who have ever served Him together with the Father. This is the great us. It is a mysterious connection. It is a mysterious connection that links us together and that links us with God. Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. I'm there among them. And so today, as we wear our masks, as we digest the coffee that many of us enjoyed on the way in, Jesus is here. He is here and present with us. He is a part of this us that has gathered to worship Him. He is here to be worshipped and He is here to aid our worship of God our Father. We turn next to this image of light and darkness. We know something about this image of light and darkness. In the darkness, we can't see the dangers that lie ahead of us. And in the light, things are put out in the open. In the darkness, we stumble around, but in the light, we know the path ahead. I had lived in the house in Franklin for five years when I decided to build two bookcases. And I put the two bookcases up, and they had been up for all of two days before in the dark I walked through the room I smashed my pinky toe and probably said something preachers shouldn't acknowledge saying my poor pinky toe was purple for about for about three weeks Zachary got a car not long ago and I backed out of the garage I don't know two three four hundred times and there was nothing behind me He'd had the car for two days. And I backed out of the garage out of, out of habit. Didn't even see. It was as if there was darkness surrounding me. Light and darkness. 
the ability to see and the inability to see. The ability to know what's around us and who we are and where we are. The lostness of not knowing. This is not just a New Testament image. For example, it shows up in Isaiah who says, Oh, house of Jacob, let us come and walk in the light of the Lord. You also remember, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. James Kelly says, I would rather light a candle than curse the darkness. But we don't have to light a candle. God's light in Jesus has already come to illumine the world. God's light has already shown us the way to the Father. And that way is Jesus Himself who says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so, here we have in 1 John, this is the message that we've heard from Him. We proclaim to you, God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. You and I choose to walk in God's light or we choose to shield ourselves from it. But the light exposes the truth. The light of God exposes the truth of what is really, truly in our hearts. Now, from the baptismal covenant, we find the pastor who says, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, this is the first baptismal question, do you reject the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sins? Now, notice that there are three different levels of rejection here. Reject the evil powers of this world. We recognize that there is a force out there that wants to destroy our souls just just as energetically as the church hopes to save our souls. There is a... There is a force out there that wants to drag us away from God more powerfully and sometimes more effectively than we ourselves want to move toward God. And if it weren't for the grace of God who pulls us from the clutches of evil and the evil one, we would not. We would not have a chance. So, the first, do you reject the spiritual forces of wickedness? Say no to the one who would snatch your soul. Jesus says about him in John 10.10, the thief, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and may have life abundantly. Do you reject the spiritual forces of wickedness? And then there's the evil powers of this world. All the powers of this world, they would rather you act like everybody else than take a stand for justice and truth and goodness. The powers of this world that make you believe that the bottom line on a balance sheet is more important than justice and righteousness. The evil powers of this world that say to us, what matters is what makes you happy in the moment. 
as opposed to following God's will for your life? Do you reject the evil powers of this world? And then finally, there is the, do you repent of your sin? What is your sin? You know what your sin is. It's what keeps you up at night. It's what makes you uncomfortable when you think about it and you try not to think about it because if you go there, your place is a dark one. Your sin is that way in which you have rebelled against the God who made you. D.A. Case and D.W. Holdren are Wesleyan scholars and they point out that some people think that they live above sin. We shouldn't even think about it because it's beneath us. We're good people and talk about sin is beneath us. We just don't even need to worry about it. Other people think they've moved on. Yeah, once upon a time I struggled with sin, but now everything is okay. Others believe that the sin nature is is gone and is finished with them and now whatever they want has to be good by definition. Some think they live below the threshold of sin. You know, right here is where sin really matters and yeah, you can get up to here. But at least I'm not like my neighbor Jim over there. You know what he did last week? Let me tell you. As if gossip is a sin that is acceptable and others are not. And some are simply blind to it. Don't even think about it or worry about it while others blame their sin on God. If God hadn't made me this way, if God hadn't put these obstacles in my way, if God hadn't this or that, but folks, in the light we see our true selves. And here's what John has to say about our true selves. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. Two verses later, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so we recognize it. We recognize it. Again, this is not just a New Testament idea. Psalm 32, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. This isn't the end of the story, though. None of us can sit back and say, oh, well, that's just how I am. I hear that from time to time. People say really dumb and hurtful things to other people. And they'll make an excuse and they'll say, well, that's just how I am. I speak my mind. That's my talent. One preacher said, that's a talent that Jesus wouldn't mind if you buried in the ground. That's just how I am, not so fast. We acknowledge our sin. We recognize it. But the gospel calls us then to turn from it. 1 John 2, 1, I don't know if you 
picked up on this as we read it earlier. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now we're talking. Now we're talking a difficult task for Christians. Now we understand that God's will for us is no small thing, but for us to be transformed in meaningful ways. Again, this has always been the plan of God. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. You know what that means, don't you? You don't have an excuse if you're only 81. Abram is 99 years old. He's going to get a card from the president in a year and be featured on one of the morning shows as a centenarian. I can't wait until we have someone turn 100 at centenary while I'm here. We'll have a centenarian at centenary. It'll be wonderful. Abram was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to him and he said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, even at 99. I mean, I always think when somebody's 84 or 85, they've earned the right to do and say pretty much whatever they want to do and say. But God says, walk before me and be blameless at almost 100 years old. You're not done. God's not finish with you yet then we have other scriptures like Matthew where Jesus says be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect and then we have James who says my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of any kind consider it nothing but joy I'd like to talk to James a little bit about about that sometimes Considering trials, nothing but pure joy has always seemed to me to be a a pretty difficult thing to do. But, But let's go on with James because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect. Why? So that you may be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. Let's look at Peter. As he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We start to see here that this following God business is not just a casual thing. It's something that requires our whole being, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, our bodies, our emotions, our intellect, our reason. This is something that calls for every bit of us to be engaged to acknowledge that we have fallen short of God's glory. To aim high And to recognize that God's intention for us is for us to turn from sin. Now, we've got a choice. Like in the Ten Commandments, for example, why would God say, you shall not steal, if we didn't have the choice between stealing and not stealing? 
why would God say to us, you shall not commit adultery if we didn't have the choice to remain faithful or not? We are called to choose wisely. We are called to choose according to the laws and the love we have in God. So we see that we are to acknowledge our sin and we are to turn from our sin. But what happens when we, when we try, like Benjamin Franklin tried, he, in his 20s, came up with this whole list of characteristics that he wanted to have. And every day in his, in his diary, he would point out those characteristics that he had accomplished or that he had lived up to during the day. And uh, he felt it was only a matter of time until he got it all right. And finally he gave up on that enterprise. Because not every day did he get it all right. So what happens when we know, when we know we're called to acknowledge that we are sinners and that God intends for us to turn from sin and we fall? That's when we humbly trust in Jesus Christ. That's when we recognize the fullness, the completeness, the lavishness of what God has done for us. If I were giving you homework today, and I will if you take me up on it, I'll invite you to memorize 1 John 1.9. And I want you to keep that with you for the rest of your life. If we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Say that with me. If we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Of course, we see. We see here that God wants us to confess our sins and to turn from our sins. And what happens if we turn from our sins and then we fall down? I have written these things to you, John says, so that you will not sin. But, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Some years ago, I, I got a ticket from the South Carolina Highway Patrol. I was trapped. There'd been a flood, and one day the road was impassable. They had road-closed signs that were, that were put there on the road. And you couldn't have driven down the road if you wanted to. The next day, the road-closed signs were slid off to the side. And I, being a curious soul, decided I wanted to see what the road that was washed out looked like. 
And there was a South Carolina state trooper who had already pulled over 16 people. I was the 17th in the line right there as you rounded the corner. And I got my first ticket of my life. You know what? I needed an attorney. I needed someone to represent me because I was trapped. They made me think the road was open and in fact it was closed and it was still closed and he just sat down there to see who he could get. But alas, I lived in Kentucky and not in South Carolina. So I did not show up in court that day. But the other 16, they showed up in court with an attorney who pointed out that the day before the signs had been on the road so that nobody could pass. And in the day in question, the signs had been moved strategically so that people might think they could pass. And I was the only one who paid the ticket. We need an attorney. We need an advocate. We need somebody on our side. If anyone does sin, there's somebody on our side. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. God has come to save us. God has come in the flesh. We've seen Him. We've heard Him. We've touched Him, John says. Make no excuses. We've fallen short. Make no excuses. We are not who we ought to be. But the gracious Lord stands ready to forgive and to offer us mature, full, complete, holy lives. The gracious Lord offers to us this life that is abundant. So I invite you to grow in grace. And here's how I invite you to do it. First of all, I invite you to memorize 1 John 1.9. I invite you to deal with your unconfessed sin. As you are pondering 1 John 1.9, it might mean you need to take a walk this afternoon. There's something that's been bugging you and bothering you for the longest time, and maybe this afternoon you need to take a walk, and you don't even know how to confess. So you say something to God like this. The preacher tells me I need to confess my unconfessed sin. And I don't have any fancy words. And I don't have a liturgy here in front of me. But God, you know even better than I know what it is that has been on my heart and bugging me and keeping me from sleeping for the last five years. And today I tell you that I was wrong and I am sorry. Make me a new person. Deal with unconfessed sin. The second way we can grow in grace is to stop the things that we're doing that are taking us away from God. Let the thief stop stealing, the New Testament says. If you're engaged in something that God does not intend for you to be engaged in, stop. 
It might be hard. It might seem counterintuitive. But whatever it is that is keeping you from this full and complete relationship with God, put an end to it. And trust. Trust that the Lord forgives. Trust that God wants to save you even more than you want to be saved. That God wants to forgive you even more than you want to be forgiven. And that what John had heard and seen and touched is the same Lord who has promised when we gather in His name to be with us. Will you? Will you grow in this grace? Will you let God complete the work He has begun in you? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, some of us have carried things around for a long time. And we don't have the fancy words, but we know we need to bring them to you. Some of us have patterns in our lives that you intend for us to break. Some of us need to turn around and stop the things that we're doing that we know quite simply are wrong. Give us grace to trust in your love for us and in your goodness and in the work of your son Jesus who offered himself not only for our sins but for the sins of the world. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.